Something Digital, a Magento Enterprise and Shopify Plus partner. Something Digital is an award-winning digital agency that will put your e-commerce site to work. Visit them online today at somethingdigital.com slash podcast. Welcome to Merchant to Merchant, the podcast by merchants and for merchants. I'm Philip Jackson, and I'm here live in Palm Beach at Island Company on Worth Avenue. Can we make some noise? Couldn't ask for anything better, and uh, what, a, what an awesome uh, night we're going to have. What an awesome panel uh, that we have. I would love to introduce them, but I'll probably screw it up. I'll let them introduce themselves. If we could start uh, with you, Farshid. I'm Farshid Tafazoli. I'm with Material Bank. It's nice to meet everyone. Renata. Hi, my name is Renata Leon, and I'm with uh, Kroger Digital and its subsidiary, Vitacost.com in Boca. Yeah, Renata. And I'm Brian Schmidt. I'm with uh, Surefoot. We're a consulting agency. Oh, welcome. <laughs> We've got some fans uh, in the room. My name is Philip Jackson, and I'm going to host uh, our panel here tonight. Uh, our, you know, our, our goal when we were talking earlier, uh, and we realized that we all have, I'm always looking for what we have in common. I feel like it's, we, uh, typically in e-commerce, it's, it's, uh, we have shared experiences, uh, and I think that the thing that creates community is having shared experience. And sometimes that shared experience is like overcoming obstacles or overcoming challenges in your business. And if there's uh, anyone in our own area here in South Florida that's overcoming challenges and obstacles, um, it's this panel right here. And I think, so our topic tonight, our uh, unifying experience is that this panel is driving innovation. Uh, whether it's driving innovation in B2B um, and, and actually driving um, disruption in an industry like Material Bank is doing, uh, driving innovation in B2C and a hundred-year-old business uh, in an industry uh, that is pretty set in its ways like Kroger, um, or, or driving uh, a culture of innovation at retailers every day face-to-face and teaching them how to be innovators themselves. Uh, everyone on this panel tonight is driving innovation. So why don't we start uh, with you, Farshid, and tell us a little bit about uh, Material Bank. Tell us a little bit about yourself and what you guys are doing over there. Sure, sure thing. Uh, I'll start with Material Bank. Material Bank uh, is really revolutionizing the A&D community. A&D is architect and design world. Incidentally, I personally did not know what A&D meant. I come from a Wall Street background. So uh, prior to this, one of the, the entrepreneurial ventures that I had taken on was at a very young age, I, I ended up starting one of the first electronic brokerage firms in the, in the world. Um, it became one of the top 10 in terms of volume uh, became a NASDAQ publicly traded company that I was co-founder of. Uh, as an entrepreneur, I had seen disruption uh, first in, on Wall Street. But really, in this industry, I had never seen such low-hanging fruit that, that was so ripe for change. In the architect and design space, literally the business model is being run the very same way that it was in the 1920s. Uh, and I'm, I've become very much a historian of business models. It's, sort of what I enjoy going through and, and learning about. So what we do at Material Bank is prior to us, I went about four years ago and sat with architects and designers. So our parent company happens to be the largest in revenues in the architect and design space. So I had access to be able to go and see what the day-to-day work of a designer or an architect looks like. These are folks who are building something like where we are today. Right? These are folks who are building hospitals, schools, uh, office buildings, 
mega corporations, all the way down to the high-end residential. And what I came to realize is that everything that we see around us here in a corporate setting, these are all specified pieces of materials that are required to be specified prior to starting that building process. And what they would do is they would go to hundreds of different websites and they would do these searches and none of them, literally none of them, did the searches show up in the same way that we've become accustomed to doing search in a Google world. And then after they would find the very basics, so let's say they were looking for, as the Marriott Hotel, a green carpet. It's not just a green carpet that would work for Marriott. That county, that city, that state may have specific fire requirements that will require certificates. That particular air area may require an antimicrobial setting if it's a hospital. So there were attributes that were very extensive. Some of the attributes get into the hundreds of attributes for one material. And so the person would find just the green carpets, the architect and designer, and they didn't want to do the work, so they would give it to a junior. And the junior would go, and somewhere in about a week to two weeks, after refining, after librarians were involved, they would receive a box of materials, or even worse, the, those big thick binders would come with a rep to the, to the particular location, and they would open it up and go through it with them. So it was very easy to identify that, that this industry should change and will change uh, as a result of technology coming in. And what we did is we took not just one manufacturer, we went to hundreds of manufacturers, took every single one of their materials. We're talking millions of SKUs. We went and took a warehouse in Memphis, less than three miles from the main FedEx super hub in the US. And now, instead, what happens is that architect and designers come to our site, they register, and they get access. When they type in a search, they get to go through. They want all the antimicrobial. They need their specific fire retardant, every aspect that they could want. We've taken what was two weeks worth of work and we've reduced it to three minutes. So when they do their search and they go through and between hundreds of thousands of products, they filter down to the 30 exact products that would work for them. And they just simply click sample, 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 sample. And they can place that order up to midnight Eastern Standard Time, Monday through Friday, and they receive everything in one box the very next business morning for free. We're also open on Saturdays up to 5 p.m. So folks that are working on projects that require quick turnaround, they're in a, a jam, they receive that box first thing Monday morning. So we're processing orders now 24 hours a day. We've installed robotics prior to even opening the office, the, the warehouse, I should say. And it is really, truly revolutionizing the industry. Uh, so the, the way that I'd like to think about these things is we're truly building both a technology moat as well as a geo moat in terms of physical location. So unless all of these manufacturers are willing to relocate some of these 100-year-plus family businesses to the same location and build the technology, and if they do by that time, uh, really there is not a need for two, three, four players in this space. Oh, thanks, Farshid. I, there's, there's, there's so much to sort of distill there. Um, I, I, I think one of the, the key takeaways is that uh, there's, there's sort of this idea that maybe people were set in their ways of doing things the way they had always been done, right? And, uh, and it takes someone to come in who has a background uh, within a different point of view to say, uh, this actually can be, we can do this a different way. 
it's not just about the application of technology, it's about the right people to help you make the right decisions to, to disrupt it. I, that sounds a lot like the Kroger Digital story. Renee, yeah. tell us a little bit about your background and tell us a little bit about what you're doing over at Kroger. Absolutely. So it's always interesting to talk about Kroger uh, and be an office, a Kroger office here in Florida because a lot of people are not, may not be familiar with it. However, Kroger is uh, America's largest grocery chain. Um, depending on where you are located or grew up, you may have known it as Kroger. Uh, or maybe Ralph's, or Mary, maybe Harry's Theater, Dylan's, King Supers, Fred Meyer, you name it. Um, so, so definitely Kroger is, is present throughout the country. Um, and here in Florida, we happen to have an office due to an acquisition that happened about five years ago of Vitacost.com. And Vitacost.com is a pure play uh, e-commerce uh, business where we specialize in uh, natural products, supplements, organic foods, um, so anything that has to do with fitness um, uh, supplements as well. Um, and it's delivered right to the consumer, um, internationally, by the way. So uh, it was a very strategic acqu acquisition for Kroger. Um, and, and today we, we continue to work on that sort of integration into the parent company and working with them in a sort of larger transformation of, of innovation. Um, as you may imagine, being the largest grocer, it's also threatened by, by some of the largest movers, movers and shakers in the country right now. So if you think about Amazon acquiring Whole Foods, or if you even think about Walmart, and it's amazing uh, Super Bowl commercial on uh, you know, pickup, delivery, and sort of this uh, omni-channel. It, there's, there's definitely a, a, a threat, a call, um, to, to make sure that cro grocery goes beyond the in-store experience and it really becomes a sort of seamless, completely integrated uh, experience where it doesn't matter if you're doing pickup, delivery, if you're going to the store, um, that, that you really get engaged with, with a brand that knows you, that knows your preferences, that can anticipate them and help you f with everything from meal planning um, to living better like we do in, in uh, by the cost. So uh, all engines are on for Kroger. Uh, the company is based in Cincinnati, but we have uh, offices throughout the country where we're uh, in, in a mad hunt for, for talent and for uh, just really the, the resources to, to put up a fight against this, uh, this recent giants. Um, and, and it's a very interesting journey. Part of that um, in Boca means changing this, this business, which was you know, a successful Web 1.0 uh, business uh, in its time, but now it's starting to see sort of the, you know, the get running to the challenges of, of tech debt and, and you know, systems that are aging um, and, and rethinking it again, uh, not for the Web 1.0 consumer, but for the new you know, mobile consumer and beyond that, um, and, and really reinventing our ways. Um, one of the, the, the biggest changes that we've seen here in Boca and that I've been sort of the, the first uh, pioneer in it down here is, is the idea of, of uh, product management as a catalyst of, of empathizing with the consumer, right? Um, one of the sort of the Bibles of our, uh, of our group right now, I don't know if you've read this book, but it's called Inspired by Marty Kagan. Um, and and has been one of those pivotal uh, books along with uh, with uh, Google's uh, the Science Sprint uh, book and, and methodology um, that that really works on the concept of of empathy for the customer of really um, having a cadence for innovation to the point where 
you are no longer kind of checking the box of integrations and technology and the next future and the next future, but really thinking in the way of, uh, of problems. So instead of having a roadmap of futures, you have a roadmap of problems that you need to address. And that is a change that is happening down here in Boca and Cincinnati and San Jose and pretty much every one of our offices. And we're trying to change sort of the mentality, the ways that we work, um, and, and sort of evangelize this sort of new way of, of seeing uh, technology development and working with our partners in the business uh, and, and marketing to all be aligned. Um, also using another methodology that you may have heard about uh, called OKRs, uh, Objectives and Key Results. Um, so I can go on and on about that, but I think that's the, the in, a, in a nutshell what we're doing. I had nothing to take notes with. <laughs> I, I, I feel like I'm going to have to right. listen back. It's a good thing we're recording this. Right. Uh, when you're talking about sort of bringing that and sort of evangelizing internally yeah. around how you can create that culture of innovation, how you can sort of challenge the norms, uh, how you can uh, uh, really innovate on a daily basis, that mm -hmm. sounds a lot like what you do to uh, give, it's not just the tools, but sort of the knowledge and know-how and create uh, programs within other companies uh, to be able to do that. Tell us a little bit about you, Brian, tell us a little bit about Surefoot and uh, your role. Uh, so I'm co-founder. Uh, we are in. Uh, we focus on A/B testing and personalization on websites, primarily e-commerce sites running Magento, and uh, we use tools like uh, High Conversion to do that, uh, and many other tools as well. Uh, along the way, I love hearing you talk about empathy uh, for the customer. Uh, that's one of the biggest things that most people are lacking, especially when it comes to doing things on the website. Uh, you get in your own head and, and forget to come out of it, and so. Um, you have a lot of designers, uh, a company like this, um, here I'm sure they have a lot of des designers, web designers doing things and designers in print, and they probably bleed over each other. Uh, no pun intended there, print bleed. <laughs> um, but um, <laughs> we, we come in and help them uh, step back from having everything be pixel perfect when it launches on the website and to test and experiment and try things. Um, because of tools like high conversion, you reduce the risk. Uh, you almost mitigate the risk completely of doing something that customers don't like. Um, one of the ways we help people uh, view things from their customers, there's a thing called Buyer Legends. It's a book you can buy. I highly recommend it for anyone in the web world or anywhere else, really. It's a, it's a great business book. Um, and it helps you gain total empathy with your customer. And you write a story that is written like a single person experiencing your, your business. And uh, you put names to them, and then your teams talk about Roger, who lives in Boca, you know, all these things. And you can communicate them in a new language uh, that totally comes from the customer's uh, world, relevant to them. Uh, so we help people come from being, like I said, pixel perfect, and willing to take risk and try things and run experiments, and go from being uh, opinion-driven to being data-driven. Uh, and having a culture of humility and curiosity. So, humility is such a key word. So Everyone so recommended a book. <laughs> I, I've, I've got to throw one in here. I, I, I'm a Warren Buffett disciple, so I'll say The Intelligent Investor by Ben Graham is what I would <laughs> Chapters 8 and 20, only chapters you need to read. I love that we can actually uh, get into the space of podcasting that I've been wanting to is like book reviews and, uh, and media. We'll do TV and, 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 uh, and cinema next. I, I, I love what you were saying. Uh, Brian, about the um, instilling that that culture, instilling that within uh, other businesses. Like, what is the biggest challenge that you face in trying to get them to buy into that methodology? Because I, I assume they come to you saying, "I need this tool. 
give me this tool because I think this tool is going to change my business. Mm -hmm. How do you change and reorient that for them? Um, it is um, helping them, first of all, generate ideas, lots of ideas. Um, so you come in and they have an idea of their own of what their problem is and what they want to solve with it. And so they think that whatever tool they want to use for um, like A-B testing, for let's say, um, they're going to take their idea, prove that it works, and then roll it out. And oftentimes it, it doesn't work. And then you're left asking why. And then sometimes it is, we asked the wrong question to start with. Mm -hmm. We measured it wrong. We didn't implement it correctly. Mm -hmm. um, you know, there's lots of variables in there. And so it's teaching, um, figuring out where, where the weak spots are, where the bright spots are that you need to magnify and do more of. And then how do we measure success against those and say, we did a good job. Um, and then after that, it is generating ideas. It's not just top-down ideas. It's ideas we're talking to, from people who are talking to their customer, whether it's customer service reps, uh, whether it's salespeople, whoever's in, in direct contact with the customer on a daily basis. is usually your best line of generating ideas for solving problems. Um, you do research. You do research on the web for, let's say, excuse me, uh, if you're doing research for a website, it is uh, looking at best practices, but not taking them as the default answer. Um, going and looking at other people in other, um, I'll say, industries, but using the same channel. So if you're in e-commerce, uh, like Farshad did, they were in the material industry. They went and said, what is e-com doing that we could, you know, that we could apply? What, what is, um, what's Amazon doing? Mm -hmm. They're becoming the, the distributor of the products, not generating the products. At least that's how they started, right? Um, and so uh, you take someone else's solution and apply it to your problem. Um, and teaching people how to, to look for that and then apply it, test it, try mm -hmm. it. Yeah. What I, I, I'm definitely identifying with the process that, that you're talking about, and, and it definitely takes a, a mentality of humility and, and really to think like a scientist and to have the humility of a scientist. One of the biggest changes that, that we're trying to make when, when uh, we, I talked about this problem roadmaps is to change every, every aspect of our conversation into a hypothesis. So it stops being like my opinion or the opinion of you know the, the highest paid leader in the office or uh, or anyone else you know pet idea, but it, it becomes how do can we frame that into a hypothesis of um, how might we do this and uh, what are the assumptions associated with it. Um, we've seen this probably in methodologies like lean, um, uh, you know, lean startup and, and others, but um, it's so powerful when it's actually done in a regular cadence. Um, and it doesn't offend people in a way because you're not, you're, you're, you're really testing questions, not going after anyone's particular idea. I'd agree with all of this. This is basically it's continuous experiments. Whatever your opinion is, throw it out the window. Let the data show you. I mean, really, that's what it comes down to. Uh, a lot of us are going through a variety of different businesses. Uh, if, if you're making your decisions based on ego, ultimately your ego will outlast any amount of dollars that you have for funding the project. But if you allow the, the data and listen to that customer and really know your segment and know your space well, it's really what matters. Hey. Farshid, I know that, so you're a business that serves other businesses. That's right. Uh, and they, they have high expectations of you. Uh, Tremendous. Tell, tell us a little bit about, you know, that sort of pressure and, and the, the need to execute and do it quickly and get it all right the first time 
and never have to fix anything afterwards. <laughs> I'm sure you do all of that perfectly, right? Yeah, I, I mean, designers by, by themselves, I mean, they're designing what they believe are the perfect solution. So there's a level of perfection. I always say when I go to speak in front of them, I'm always subconscious. I mean, I'm the worst dresser in the world, possibly, as it, as it starts off with. Uh, but we took our time in making sure that we had it right, and we really had a lot of knowledge. Um, so our, our CEO uh, happened to, happens to have a very dominant position in this space. Uh, so we have assets that are uh, the largest in terms of revenues in the, in the media of architect and, uh, amongst architects and designers. So we really did a lot of research prior to it, and even development. We, we spent almost four years, uh, a full year in beta, unheard of type of uh, numbers. The, the rush was to get it right and make sure that the formula worked properly, uh, rather than of just racing and making continuous changes. Because in, in certain industries, they're less forgiving, um, particularly in the B2B space. Uh, a business is not going to risk their own business reputation, whereas as consumers, we can try a site. If it doesn't work, what did we really lose? Well, if you do that as a business and as an employee of a corporate entity, that's your reputation. You've now taken career risk. And, and when you're, so these are all the things that you think about as you're, as you're developing technology. How do you resist that, that sort of temptation to, uh, to not stay in beta, to just release it out to the whole world. What, what, how, do you, how do you keep from uh, just rushing towards the finish line? And how do you keep questioning yourself along the way and getting, like, what's the feedback loop with your customers so that you can improve? Right. So uh, we had access to some incredible folks that are true leaders in the space. So uh, we, for example, have um, access to the top 200 firms in terms of the sheer size of projects that they build in the US, top 200 architects. Uh, and over 50% of them are now users on this base. Many of them became ambassadors, helped us through this process, where we could go to them and ask them. And you really just have to be humble, really. There's no other way of doing it. You have to go and say, I don't know the following. If you could be helpful in this, you would make a tremendous change. And really, the change that we were looking for, the measure, I have two measures that I personally look for. Uh, I look at a lot of financial metrics, but let's just put all of those aside and put a Wall Street background to the, to the side and say, I can't have any models or Excel mm -hmm. spreadsheets that I go through. Number one is if a person is going to recommend, without any incentives, your application or your solution to somebody else, to one of their peers, that's a very big one. Um, Really, that, that one is uh, massive. And num number two, if you develop the type of relationship with key individuals in your space where you can go to them and have that honest dialogue and say, this is what we're considering, this is what we're doing, and be able to, when they shoot you down, um, listen, continue testing, make your adjustments, and then move forward. Uh, I, those are the two things that I would say. Renata, you have a, um, you don't come from a retail background. I don't, certainly right? no. <laughs> so, so do you, do you feel like you're, you're constantly, do you feel the pressure that there's a, uh, both the need to have to learn about the, the retail aspect 
but also to challenge assumption in your role. Tell, tell me a little bit about your background and maybe it's, how that... It's been an interesting journey. I, I come from a background of product management, but for the e-learning space, uh, working for companies like, like uh, Kaplan or Western Governors University. Uh, so sort of on, all online um, adult education. And we actually, I, I got introduced to this sort of methodology of, of the inspired questioning and, and hypothesis building within those roles. Uh, they, they face the exact same issues um, in terms of finding solutions. I think the biggest uh, difference with retail is that retail is a lot more immediate. Um, you, you get your results or your hit <laughs> um, it pretty quickly. So that could be good in terms of allowing you to, to move faster. Um, and, and, and also to be honest with yourself when something's not working and it's not resulting in sales. I think in education, uh, there can be sometimes a bit of a temptation to say, well, but I think they're learning. Um, or you know, it, to to, <laughs> to have even more failure is learning. Yeah. Right, right. <laughs> so there's there's a, there's a lot more subjective numbers, and there are numbers. There are retention numbers. There are you know graduation numbers that that are certainly very concrete. Um, but those take usually longer periods of time. You know, you have to wait. You know, entire semesters or entire years or even the the length of mm -hmm. a bachelor's degree um, to to find out. So um, I I find the retail space particularly exciting um, for, for this kind of hypothesis building um, and, and definitely a challenge in the way there's, there's definitely a lot to learn um, in terms of my personal advantage in the way it, it, I would say um, I, I, had, I have I guess the privilege of, of not having a past bias about the industry hmm. um, or, or kind of having this thoughts about well what worked before or I remember three years ago when I was working for this company with this and that uh, I'm coming freshly into a new world and, and questioning why, which is what we need. It's just constantly questioning why uh, things are done a certain way. I'm so interested in knowing. I mean, I've always thought of myself as sort of a, a speedboat. And I look at old line industries, Kroger certainly, a company like that, as, a, as just a cruise ship. So to turn it, you got to like... You yeah. got to anticipate, you got to make sure there, like hundreds, yeah. thousands of folks are ready to turn the boat in, in essence. And, and I guess that's And we're why, doing circles around, <laughs> yeah. or, you know, going around guess, that ship. I guess that's why, you know, Brian, your role is, is so important. There, there's definitely a, an inertia and it is a people inertia. Mm -hmm. uh, more but how do you anything. get the entire organization to... to you don't. Like, Kroger's actually... <laughs> <innovative ways. laughs> It takes a lot of leadership. It, it takes yeah. very, very strong leadership. And I can tell you, in Kroger, we have a new crop, a new, sort of a new generation of leaders that is, you know, solely and completely dedicated to, to, to creating these pockets of, of uh, or, or revitalizing these this offices that the company already had. Um, and this advantages in, in markets like Vitacost, for example, and, the, and sort of nutritional and, and organics um, to to renew the entire company. Um, and it does take a lot of evangelizing. Mm -hmm. um, and, and I know that my bosses, a lot of their work goes out in evangelizing. It goes into training. It goes into just making sure there is alignment. So it, 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 leadership cannot be overstated. Um, it, it is the crucial uh, element.
podcast is brought to you by Something Digital. Something Digital is a full-service e-commerce agency specializing in strategy, design, digital marketing, and more. Something Digital has award-winning creative design and world-class engineers that can deliver any size project from concept to launch. Something Digital is a Magento Enterprise and Shopify Plus partner. Put your e-commerce site to work with Something Digital. Check them out today at somethingdigital.com slash podcast. I do want to mention one thing, which is it's not just about the Kroger story. I think it's also about the Vitacost story because there's an interesting element to a fully digitally native and and, uh, vertically integrated online brand who can be more nimble and take that culture of quick response uh, and, and, Mm -hmm. and take that culture of being digital first and be able to inform the larger parts of the organization. It is, and we have done a lot of that. And, and I think that was part of the sort of the strategic positioning of, of Vitacos as a way to, to teach and bring Kroger along into this pure play journey. And, mm-hmm. and the company has devoted a lot of its resources in doing that in the past couple of years, um, sometimes to its own detriment. But we've, we've really gone into nourishing the company into that direction of, of pure play e-commerce. Now, there's all, we also have to, to remember that, that this was a company founded in the 90s. We're now in, 20, you know, in 2019. Um, so even the sort of this Web 1.0 companies are aging. Mm. Uh, the old internet wow. is no longer uh, the model for for today. And sometimes we, we kind of forget to say, oh, old digital. Well, old digital is the 90s. Yeah. Um, and and there's a lot of uh, kind of under the the hood things that that need to change, um, even for it for a natively digital company. Brian, I cut you off. There. No worries. No. Yeah. So I, two, you hit on two points that yeah. I think are connected, actually. Uh, failure and uh, evangelizing. So you've got to talk about your failures. There are learnings there. Um, that's, that's what trying things does, is you fail and learn, and, and you iterate then and, and repeat and, and do, you know, try something, tweak it a little differently, do it this way. Um, and you have to evangelize those failures as well as the wins uh, to have a culture of innovation. If you're only a culture of wins, you won't actually innovate That's because right. you aren't breaking things. Yeah. Yeah. Um, how, so. how do you how do you challenge? So I I've been in the position to have to you know uh, uh, coax someone into trying something that mm-hmm. they're they're not totally uh, sold in on with. yet, right? Yeah. Uh, how do you uh, how do you help them understand that? having learned from that is not really uh, giving up some sort of opportunity of profit or a sale. You know, like you're giving something up in exchange for that learning. How do yeah. you profess to them that that's profitable? Um, you have to reframe it to start right. with. Uh, I think part of it, people hate failure, right? We love winners. Uh, just It's in our built in our psyche. That's why we're still walking the earth. Um, yeah. So um, <laughs> in, in my company, we have something we just implemented called a failure bow. And when someone tries something, it, well, they don't have to be trying anything. If you mess up, you, get, you gather everyone, we're all remote, my company, uh, you get everyone on a video camera, and you do a full plant failure bow like you were a gym, gymnast. Yes. And uh, then everyone claps and cheers, and it totally, it changes the chemistry in your brain. You are no longer scared of fail, failure. You're no longer scared of breaking things or doing something wrong, okay? Uh, and also, it brings them to light, because otherwise, people bury them. And then you find out later when you don't want to. Um, so um, that's part of it. Uh, we don't take that to our clients. We haven't yet anyways. <laughs> um, but uh, every test we run, we do a data story. Uh, people don't remember numbers too much. People like Farshed probably remember a lot more numbers than I do. 
Um, but people remember stories. Um, that's how our history is, was for you know hundreds of thousands of years. Um, so um, we do a data story, and we talk about what we learned in a story, whether it was good or bad, quote good or bad, you know, um, and then we push that out to everyone in the organization. Because a lot of times, even the people who aren't directly related and involved with what we're doing, read that and go, oh, I know something about this. Let me help you. And uh, so you have, to, you have to evangelize everything. Can you yeah. uh, just, for my, for my benefit, mm -hmm. could you give me uh, some sort of a tangible example? Yes. Uh, so we have a client that, uh, okay, I'll, I'll twist it a little bit. Yeah, yeah. So and, and to the bringing the culture of, of innovation. So we have a client that the homepage was the sacred cow. It was off limits, basically. It is our brand. It's our voice. It's where we have our social media, our videos, and things like that. And we said, what if we got you a 15% bump in revenue, overall revenue, by changing one thing on the homepage? Would you do it? Yeah, we might do that. Okay, so let's find out what happens when we do this. And it's just an experiment, which is a key phrase. It's just an experiment. That's what you have to tell people. And then for some reason in their brain, they relax and go, okay, we'll try this. Short term. Yeah, it's short, short term. term. Right. It's not written in stone. And... Um, so we ran a test on the homepage. We actually got like a 23% improvement in our key metric. It wasn't revenue, but it was in our key metric. Uh, it's hard to direct, directly connect revenue to homepage sometimes, depending on the company. And we wouldn't want to ever overstate anything, right? right. <laughs> that never happens in consulting. Never, never. ever. <laughs> uh, and so it was a big win. And they pushed that data story out to the rest of the team. All of a sudden, ideas were coming back, and people were saying, when are we going to do a redesign and test it? And um, over the course of a few months with this client, the guy running the project, our, our champion, internal champion, went to his boss, and his boss said, when are we going to have a redesign that we can test? And he said, we'll, we'll never redesign. But you see the, the site today, it will look like a redesign happened a year from now, but we've tested into that design piece by piece by piece. Mm. And we've had several failures along the way, and you'll only see the wins, and we'll know what the wins are. Mm -hmm. So... That, that's changing a culture. Going back to that, to that point about failure, um, one of the things that stands out to me is that in order for failure to be eventually successful, you have to do some sort of evaluation and, and have a sense. It's only good if you can actually eliminate options and have a sense of what, what went wrong. Mm -hmm. um, if there is no le learning out of the failures and you're just bumping your head you know, mm -hmm. over and over again. I, I, I get the sense that both of these are sort of the antithesis to what you were saying, Farshid, of your, uh, there's sort of an, uh, uh, this trust that other businesses are placing in you to not fail. What's, what is your sort of exception handling? Because I, not everybody gets it perfect every time. I would actually agree with you guys, but, you know, when uh, you take things such as fashion, right. when you take aspects such as design, these are continuously changing and evolving pieces. Hmm. Um, so it's very industry by industry specific, and it, you, you really have to know that segmentation. So, th you know, you don't want to, I always say, if you're a comedian, don't get on stage and start singing. Uh, and, and so you have to know who your audience is, and you have to know where your, your core talents are. But you have to think about the same changes that take place. So in the design space, for example, if you put what is trendy, you will turn off a lot of people who will just turn to you and say, this is, this is vile. I'm not coming here ever again. They, they have what everybody is basically doing. Uh, so it, it becomes much more segmented, uh, literally on a geographical basis, on a user-by-user, user, on a firm level. There are a lot of 
variations to slice this, to splice and slice this. I, I'm curious if anyone's broken the news to you yet that you're a retailer now, um, because <laughs> I don't, you're talking like one anyway. I, I, I think what, what's really interesting is that as, as sort of a marketplace of other brands, That's right, right. Uh, in that marketplace, the thing that likely sets you apart is that, is that curation. Yeah. So you, you have to understand what the tastes are, and if anything, you become the, the trendsetter because you're the portal by which everybody is viewing what the trends are. I'll give you guys an example. So not all designers and not all architects are the very same thing. You can't just say, it's a designer, so I'm going to show them these. So somebody, for example, that does just government work and does just hospitality work or does just uh, healthcare work, builds hospitals. Uh, when, if you come to a curated homepage, you better have that right on that per user basis. But even further, let's just say you're a commercial designer. Within commercial, there are a lot of variations. And those really are predicated on two aspects. You can ask the, the specific user, if they say they're a commercial user, you can ask them, tell me the projects you've worked on. And they could click check boxes of what they've worked on. But, you know, in all honesty, they may have worked on one commercial project that was an office building, and it was 10 years ago, and they're just clicking because they have worked on that. But their behavior is now another aspect. So you have to take what their behavior is and how they're acting. What are they clicking on? What does that tell you so that you can truly get it right for the very next, for the proper, well-rounded experience? And even then, it's an experiment to figuring it out. So if somebody, for example, um, and there are tie-ins to retail, but if somebody is working on a particular project, they're working on um, 151 Pacific Coast Highway. That's the name of the project. Uh, when they are going through that, the palette and the colors that are there are black, gray, and white. If you just keep showing them black, white, and gray over and over and over and over, you have no idea when that project is over. You have no right. idea when that segmentation is breaking. So th these are not static pieces. So you have to derive um, firm data points to be able to make these modifications. Mm -hmm. I'd say the very same thing is probably going to apply, right? I mean, we've all been on time periods where we're on a diet and we go to a site and Absolutely. then we're, 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 we're no longer on that diet. I was, I was going to And we see that. diet food and we, we're angry. <laughs> Don't show me the was, diet food. I was going to comment on that because there is a, an element of trendiness to food, um, particularly in our space of, of uh, or natural and organic. Diets do come and go. Um, you know, trends in... I don't know, in, in consumption of a certain supplement like turmeric or, um, I don't know, kale um, or whatever. Or um, not kale, you know, or not that's kale, fine whatever. <laughs> but, uh, but we see the keto diet most recently. Um, so, so there is definitely an element and it resonates with us as well. Yeah. And how do you, I'm curious in, in that space and sort of, you, you kind of do need to merchandise in a way that's sort of trendy so that you're seen as relevant. Right. Absolutely, absolutely, and and mind you, this is not my space, but we do have right. an entire merchandising department that that is paying a lot of attention and participating. You know, at the biggest conference right. around it, precisely to to jump into this this waves of uh, of new diets or, uh, or or new supplements with with certain rail guards, right? right. 
Um, what, one of the things is that, of course, not everything is effective, and, and particularly being a part of the, of the Kroger family, we want to make sure that as the moto goes in Kroger, we wouldn't sell anyone to other people that we wouldn't sell to our own family. Um, so, so as these new diets come up, some are kind of outrageous um, sometimes, um, you know, every once in a while. And they do take care of that while also trying to keep up. Mm. It's, it's a balancing act. I think you, you were saying earlier, too, that there's a, a, a new, well, it may be new to me. This, I, I'm, I'm not sure. Uh, you were talking about a message of sustainability within the mm -hmm. organization. Um, that, that sounds like something that's, I, I don't want to call it trendy, but it sounds like it, and it might be the new normal for brands because consumers actually can like, compare brands yeah. by their sustainability story. Right, So right. It's, it's, it's all part of that. It's all part of it. And now, mm -hmm. just to come back to another conversation mm -hmm. we had before in talking about innovation, you have uh, ship to home. As a as sort of a, a baseline requirement in your business, yeah. uh, that's being set that that expectation is set upon you by other uh, by consumers' experiences with other brands. Correct. Tell me a little bit about how you're going about you know putting that together in your. So that is an early experiment that we're doing. We're still sort of tweaking the the levers of of merchandising. What is the sweet spot for for shipping uh, grocery items? Um, in the in our sort of older brand of Vitacos, it, it, it's a model that has been figured out because it's a very specific space of supplements uh, of uh, organic brands that are normally not found easily in people's you know local stores. But when it comes to a, a general grocer like like Kroger, it is it's sometimes a little bit no, more nuanced about what people choose to ship to their home as opposed to order by delivery or decide to pick up. Um, and, and to be honest, we are right now in that journey. As we start talking about sort of seamless, a seamless omni-channel uh, approach, how do we not only offer that seamless experience where it doesn't you know, matter which modality you pick, but how do we capture that data and we really understand where people pick one modality over another? Um, and that, those are experiments that are going on right now. Um, some spaces may not be completely uh, foreign to you because there's other companies that are already sort of doing it well. So think about the pet space, um, you know, pet food or beauty products are things that are sort of, there's sort of a, a cadence or, or a frequency to them that you, can, that you can figure out and create this sort of interesting subscription models. Um, but, but that is what we're heading and there's a lot of experimentation ahead of us for mm -hmm. sure. Sustainability is touching a lot of various industries. Yeah. You have that you have a yeah, we story have, we, around we sustainability. Have so in in the samples industry, one of the biggest revelations I personally learned was that these little samples that you get, whether it's a tile, whether whatever piece you piece of wood, they're quite expensive. I I mean the actual cost of generating one of these things is really expensive. And you have that combination of a tremendous cost for the manufacturers, and then you have another issue, which is, for our industry, ultra, ultra focused on sustainability as the users. Designers, architects are a very green community. Uh, I mean, we spend a great amount of time where they're like, how, how, how is this any better than what my reps, my reps are driving a short distance over here. And to go through what that footprint is, well, for us, it's really rather simple. Before, when they were ordering from 10 manufacturers, there were 10 shipments coming from all over the country. First, it was going from the manufacturer to their warehouse, and then from their warehouse to the local reps, and then the local reps were going. So there were 10 packages that were basically flying. So now we've reduced that footprint to one. 
But what we did is we went one step further and we created a program called Sample Loop. So we, we, have, <laughs> we, have a, um, we have a box that goes to their office and instead of these samples going to a landfill where they just throw it away, uh, it now goes into this box. They call an 800 number. It gets picked up, comes back to our warehouse. Yeah, mm -hmm. that's awesome. <laughs> uh, th we find that, that almost 85% of the materials that come back to the warehouse are in absolutely perfect shape. Our robots go backwards, put it on the shelf. It <laughs> saves the industry. It saves landfills. It sa I mean, it's, everybody wins yeah. right. along the way. Yeah. 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 <laughs> I love that's that. a great story. That's um, great. I can't believe that we're, we're almost out of time. I, I, I feel like we could actually talk forever. And I would love, I'd love nothing more than to make this a seven-part episode. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but I, I do want to sort of wrap up some of the thoughts here. And I, Brian, I... I Put you on the spot and sort of give you the final word. Uh, what do you think that if he's going to get the final word? Can I say? Can everyone oh, just please go to careers.materialbank.com? <laughs> we're going to go this way. It's not the final final word. I'll let you start by Very giving the final words. We're going to go back this way. Um, maybe you could sort of read the future a little bit and 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 think about like what do you think some of the uh, the challenges that can be solved in the way that you deal with uh, with retailers? What do you think? are some of their challenges? How are you helping them to solve them? And just give me a little bit about like that education component and how they can better learn to work with you so that they can better serve their customers. <laughs> it's gonna be high level. It's, it's asking the right questions and knowing um, that you're often gonna be wrong. Um, I've been doing A-B testing since 2004 and uh, <laughs> I can't tell you how many times I'm wrong about stuff. You think I would learn in 15 years and I haven't. Um, I've learned to ask better questions, I guess. Uh, so ask better questions. Like I said, be humble and be curious. Um, those are the, like, the, the key components to uh, innovating and learning and, and bringing a culture of that. Um, I would say that, um, you know, if you can, uh, there's the, the, I forget, I can't attribute it correctly, but, you know, uh, bring data, uh, you know, if we're gonna use an opinion, we're gonna use mine, all others bring data. Um, but if you can bring data to the conversation, mm -hmm. um, and it's gotta be a conversation, it can't be one-sided, uh, you'll innovate, you'll, you'll decide, make better decisions, and, and yeah. And, and you'll keep learning and growing. Uh, Renata, uh, uh, what are those conversations like uh, in your world, and what does the next couple years look like? Well, um, that, that, is, that is a big question. Um, I think right now we're at the point of, like Brian said, just, just looking at ourselves and our ideas with humility and, and parting from there to, to inform our hypothesis building um, of creating relationships and tending you know, bridges with uh, all sorts of people within the organization so they're in the same boat of you know, being open to being wrong and failing. Um, and documenting those failures so mm -hmm. we sort of hopefully have a trend line of where we're, where we're going. Um, and, and we want to continue being America's grocer. We want to continue being the solution that every family uh, utilizes to, to figure out what they're going to eat next and, and how they're going to put food on the table um, and, and, and in an organized way, right? So um, that is what, where we, we hope to be um, the next couple of years and yeah. And Farshid, uh, yeah. tell us a little bit about that. I, I mean, we intend on working 24 hours a day to basically change as many industries as possible, to be honest with you. I know that sounds aggressive, but uh, I, we don't believe that this is just for the materials industry. 
uh, and for the A&D community. We actually believe this will be able to be a model that will replicate and go through other industries, fashion, a lot of other pieces out there, a lot of them. Thank you so much. Wow, what an amazing uh, panel. Could we give them a hand here tonight? Thank you so much. Awesome, 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 awesome. Uh, I, I'm sure you all are teeming with questions, uh, and uh, I'll, I'll arbitrarily cap it at three. How about that? Uh, anybody? Any, just Yeah, go ahead. Hari, I'm not going to call you hard shit. Uh, what do you guys do that is not for the big guy? Like, you know, like, I know uh, a couple of v your VPs talk about, like, financial inclusion and, like, giving out the materials for the small, small little kids and, like, actually sending it out so you can make better places in Africa and Asia. So, like, where do you guys sit on that, on your board? Like, how much money do you guys actually want to put to not just, like, serve, like, how much... You know, as you said, a blue swath of carpet you want. It's a, it's a tremendous question, actually. So remember I spoke about 85% of the materials that come back that are... You don't send that to Africa, though. That are in great shape. That are in great shape. So the balance of it, what we're doing is actually we're working with universities and students. They are hungry for materials. These kids are young. They want to learn about everything that's possibly out there. That's one. What we think that we can do is eventually eliminate every ounce of waste that's there. We look at that waste as going back and being reused in some capacity. We've had internal conversations with charitable organizations about creating blankets, about creating all sorts of other things. The, the more mass and the more product that we're able to intake, because it's centralized, the greater these opportunities will be. And we're very focused on the community. You, you, you know, it's twofold. It's not just from our perspective. If you look at our, our user base, uh, they're really, first of all, coming from a Wall Street background, this is the nicest community I have ever met. <laughs> <laughs> ever met. Uh, they, I mean, they, they really want to commit. So, uh, Materials people are very cutthroat. <laughs> they're not cutthroat. They may not be the timeliest in some aspects, but they are really some of the sweetest, most wonderful folks. Uh, that I personally and they hold you accountable. I hear is what you're saying, right? <laughs> they hold us accountable. Yeah, yeah. Okay. yeah, they definitely hold us accountable. Yeah. Another question, right here. Uh, again, per, um, so you mentioned before about uh, having the uh, the impact of a referral system built into you know your, your you know your customer empathy, your customer understanding. Um, how do you measure that on a B to B scale rather than a B to C scale, whereas I don't know, maybe the refer friend program that was on by the cost that was designed by someone over here um, and implemented. That was sunset. Not better. Not better. It's okay. I, 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 I'm okay with it. Um, how, do you, how do you measure the KPIs and, and how, do you, um, how, do you, how do you make that impact and how do you recognize it? Yeah, so this community we know really well. A good word to use would be intimately well. Uh, so we, we, for example, have another business that does, uh, it's the equivalent of the Academy Awards of the um, architect and design world where, where we invite and give them Hall of Fame status, etc. So we not only know the members, but we know within a firm all of the employees that are there. Very unique position in that sense. Uh, 
One way to measure that KPI is the URL. So if you're getting users that are basically recommending each other um, at the very same firm. So I, I, whenever I go through my conversations in helping bring a member, a, a user onto the firm, I always end the line. The last comment is always the very same thing. I will tell you it's worked throughout my career. And it is the highest compliment I've received to date has been the referral of a friend or a colleague to our system. Uh, and th that creates an obligation from them in, in one sense, but it's just a very respectful tone to set. Uh, the secondary part is I'm a, I'm a believer in uh, uh, Charlie Munger, Warren Buffett's uh, ideology that human beings behave the way they're incentivized. So let's remember one thing about our site. There is no cost if you're in the industry. So it is a free service. We vet the users. We literally do due diligence on every single user. Part of that due diligence gives us who they're connected to. And so that's another KPI that, that we can utilize to, to measure that. And we do also have um, refer, we, you guys call it refer a friend. We call them refer a designer, RAD programs. And the RAD programs, we vary to see whether it is straight monetary issues. So it's not just a monetary issue. We have a true demand uh, equation to our site, where when a product is free from a supply-demand equation, the demand is naturally going to be very high. And part of that is it's created a waiting list. So we have thousands and thousands of architects and designers that are waiting to come in. And one of the programs that we do with our RAD program is it gives somebody who vouches for another designer in the industry access to come to the front of that line. Um, and, and that's also been very effective. Uh, maybe a question from the back. Anyone? Anyone else? How about from the middle? Oh, there we go. Just Suzanne. Um, I'm very interested in this concept of um, embracing failure in organization. And um, I think it's, it's wonderful to hear how your, your company is embracing that. And I think that's, that's fun. I'd be even more interested in hearing about how a, a large organization like Kroger could, um, could create that same atmosphere, knowing that it's probably an organization that's very rigorous in reviews, and I'm sure everyone has very, very um, high standards that they're, they're sure. that everyone's charging for. So um, I can imagine it's not as friendly an environment to admit failure. Sure, and, and you know, it, it's, it's an ongoing cultural shift to make people feel safe, but at the same time feel like, you know, they, they need, we're in a race, because we are. Um, so, so this failure needs to happen at, a, you know, frequent, in frequent intervals and quickly enough where, where we are moving and, and learning quickly, failing and learning quickly. Um, one of the frameworks that has been very effective for us and that we've, we've been implementing over the past year Throughout the organization, all departments are subject to it, is this OKR model, or objectives and key results, um, where, where on a quarterly basis, we all, every department, in fact, every person has their own personal OKRs as well, but every department, every group has objectives of, of certain key targets that, that they want to hit. And they need to basically negotiate, pre-negotiate with every department to align those and make sure that that they are supporting each other. If they're not, then there needs to be a conversation of why and we're sort of, where's the gap of, of me working on A and you working on B and are we okay with that? Um, and that way when, 
at the end of the quarter, we review, not, not only set new OKRs, but we review the results of, of the OKRs. We're able to have those conversations of, of which ones were met, um, and if they were not met, why not? Um, and, and sort of what kind of support and alignment we need from each other uh, in, in order to, to hit those. So it is a very interesting framework. There is uh, there's another book about it, uh, Measure What Ma Matters. Um, so, so that is another one of the, of the um, pamphlets that we're, that we're using throughout the organizations. Uh, awesome. Uh, there will be a, a few more minutes here uh, for you to be able to talk to the panelists and, uh, and, and speak with them directly. I encourage you to do that. Thank you, everybody, for coming. Uh, and thank you to Island Company, uh, to High Conversion, to Magento uh, for making this possible. Uh, and, and this has just been uh, such an amazing time. And thank you to Something Digital uh, for making this possible here tonight. Yeah.